couple things that I think are really important in uh, becoming an inclusive leader. For us in Oregon, it's important for our students to first understand the history of Oregon. What we've learned is that history is not always taught in schools, right? So, mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that that history is important. And, and Oregon ha is a state has had the most exclusionary laws that prevented and actually blacks were not allowed to live in Oregon. Um, so it's important for folks to understand that history. Actually, the last exclusionary laws did not come off the books in Oregon until, believe it or not, 2002. Welcome to season three of Confident with me, Sherry West, and my fearless daughter, Olivia. This season, we're going to talk with some fierce, unapologetically ambitious women about what it means to be an inclusive leader. Are you ready? Episode two, Dr. Alexander, Becoming an Inclusive Leader. Well, Liv, I'm so excited this for this episode. We're interviewing a college professor, which yep. is so fitting since you're a high school senior and you'll be off to college in the fall. I'm so excited. And honestly, this getting to talk to a college professor is such a great experience already. So let's introduce her. Of course. Dr. Charlene Alexander is the vice president and chief diversity officer at Oregon State University. Previously, she served as the Associate Provost for Diversity and Professor of Counseling Psychology at Ball State University for 20 years. Dr. Alexander's research interests are in the areas of multicultural counseling, school counseling, and international psychology. She is the co-editor of the Handbook of Multicultural Education, currently in its fourth edition. Welcome to Confident, Dr. Alexander. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're excited. And I just want to give a special thank you shout out to Justin Warshawski from Google who connected us. And I have a special place in my heart for leaders like Justin who connect people just for the sake of, you know, bringing good people together. So thank you, Justin. That was awesome. And by the way, Dr. Alexander, we're going to call you doctor um, because unlike that horrible Wall Street Journal op-ed um, that criticized Dr. Jill Biden for using her title, we firmly believe in the honorific. And my mother is a teacher, was a teacher for 35 years before she retired. And we both believe that yeah. teaching is the most noble profession there is. So yeah. welcome, Dr. Alexander. Thank you so much. Uh, that's, that's, that's really great, Sherry and Olivia. And you may have also seen, uh, there was another exchange between a councilman and uh, another uh, black female uh, PhD who refused to call her doctor even though she was asking for, for them to call her asking him to call her doctor anyway so it's just wrong so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna start off with a question that like we like to ask everyone just like kind of get to know you so tell us something that google doesn't know about you um probably that i like to dance and that dancing is sort of a, a, a passion of mine. And I, I actually encourage our staff in our office to, to have moments. We used to have the pre-COVID, of course, we used to have these moments where on a Friday afternoon, we'd stop and have a dance party in the office for, and others would come and join us from around campus. But it was, um, 
it was that was important for a couple things. One to just let off, you know, some steam at the end of the week. And secondly, it was also a way to let our community know that we want them to bring their authentic true self to the university and in several cultures, people dance. So yes. Oh, that that's is awesome. That's a that's fun so fact. Fun. Yeah. And, and at Live Girl, we're known to have some dance parties ourselves. <laughs> and sweet. until yeah. you've danced to Old Town Road with 200 young women, you haven't lived. <laughs> really, truly. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So you are the chief diversity officer at Oregon State University. And of course, diversity and inclusion is the buzzword right now in both corporate and in the educational space. So, but can you talk to us about what does that job or what does your role entail at the university? So um, at the university, what, what it means is that I am responsible for implementing all of the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that we have outlined in our diversity strategic plan. Uh, the goal really is to help the university keep making progress on all, each of these goals and the goals focus on our recruiting efforts for underrepresented uh, faculty, staff, and students for our retention uh, efforts for faculty, staff, and students. We are paying focus to the way we educate our community on issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. That's our third goal. Our, our fourth goal is to ensure that we are um, making uh, progress on our communication and, and attending to our communication as well. So yeah, those that's that's really the the big picture. The big picture is to make sure that the university continues to focus on each of the these goals. Um, and obviously, that is an amazing big picture and some great goals. Um, do you have any goals um, related to graduating inclusive leaders like into the workforce and how do you really like, you know, you develop these leaders? You know, I think, um, yes, we have goals. And I, I also want to say that's very important. And we also at Oregon State University have seven cultural centers. Each of our cultural centers works very closely with our students. And um, part of their goal is to one, advocate for students, but also to help students develop their leadership skills and their leadership abilities. So that work is embedded in uh, the work that happens in our cultural centers. And it's very much uh, a direction for, for all of our students who are engaged with us in a whole host of ways. And that really is the opportunity. And I'm so yeah. excited for Olivia to have the opportunity when she goes to UPenn Definitely, in the fall yeah. with such these diverse, rich community communities at college. And Dr. Alexander, you yourself, you're a native of the West Indies island of Trinidad, but you've also spent time in England, New York, Nebraska, and Indiana. So from the heartland of the US to all around the world. Um, so can you talk about how each of these different experiences has given you a different lens um, to understanding diversity in the world in which we live? Absolutely. So let me, let me start by um, describing a little bit what it was like for me growing up in the Caribbean and going to school in England, coming to the United States, and, and how it has really shaped the, the way that I see the work that I'm engaged in. 
I would say, first of all, you know, growing up in the Caribbean, in Trinidad, I was fortunate to be in a community where I saw individuals who looked exactly like me at every single level of leadership. Uh, my mother worked as a leader in the bank. She worked her way up to becoming uh, a manager, a regional manager for the bank. Um, I saw women who served in public service in a whole host of, of areas. I saw people who looked just like me, who were the president of uh, the prime minister of the university, the president of the country. So, uh, so for me, understanding, um, I did not have the, the um, concept that leadership was reserved for a particular race or that um, individuals in power needed to be of a particular race. That was not part of my makeup. Um, I like to tell the story that, you know, when I started, um, uh, I did my secondary work at St. Joseph's Convent in San Fernando. And I remember day one, you know, being in this um, assembly of, of young women, 12 years old, 13 years old, um, all who looked like me and the nuns saying to us uh, on day one, look around. These, uh, and it's all women, you are the future leaders of our country. You are our future doctors, our attorneys, our judges, our scientists. And guess what? The women that I went to school with are the lawyers and the doctors and the leaders of, of the country. And, you know, we looked at each other and said, oh yeah, and nodded our heads vigorously saying, yes, this is who we are, right? And we, um, that expectation was set from the very beginning and we all worked to live up to that expectation. So, so I'm really um, very incredibly thankful that I had that experience uh, living in Trinidad. So for me, as I think about the work that I am engaged in here in the United States, I want our underrepresented communities, I want our women to understand that this is exactly what their future holds. There is nothing that can prevent them from achieving uh, whatever it is that they long to achieve because this is who they are and this is how we as an institution, as a university welcomes all of our underrepresented community to the university. And this is our expectation that they will be the future leaders of this country. And that's the framework I want them to have. I, I love that yeah. so much. Um, but of course the challenge in the US yeah. is the actual representation. Mm -hmm. um, currently we only have one black female CEO in the Fortune 500. We have no black female senators. So how do we address, yeah. you know, that visibility gap and representation? Because, you know, I, I believe in the age old saying, you can't be what you don't see. 
Um, at Live Girl, we really do make an effort to give our girls access to fierce female role models like yourself. That's why we're doing this, mm -hmm. in, this interview and that's why we do the Confident Podcast. But what else can we do to really back up those powerful words that you were saying that we want every young woman in this country to know that they can be anything they want to be? So I think it's important for young girls to understand the systems that occur and that exist that prevent that from happening. And we here at OSU spend a lot of time educating our leaders on all of these issues, right? So um, I will tell you that our leadership has, we have spent time with them reading uh, White Fragility. Um, we have spent time uh, reading Bias. Uh, we have spent time reading Abraham Kendi's book, how to be an anti-racist. And those conversations are really helpful. First of all, I think our leadership needs to be aware. We need to first increase their awareness about uh, the ways in which their own lived experiences have prevented young women, uh, especially women of color, from advancing within higher ed. Um, and, and also as we raise their awareness and we provide some knowledge around these issues, the goal then is to provide them, each of our leaders with the skills to learn how to create welcoming spaces, how to address issues that occur in their units that prevent and hinder folks of color from moving forward or feeling like they are welcomed within the institution. And then finally, we want them to understand uh, theories of organizational change, organizational change and how those uh, can be implemented to change systems and structures. So, so those pieces are really important if, if we are going to make any progress. But um, it, it's, a, first of all, very most importantly, it's for, to raise uh, the leadership awareness around these issues. Mm, so important. Yeah, yeah it really is. Both the learning and the unlearning. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember last time we spoke, you were actually just, you were getting off the phone call and you were having an actual book di discussion with Mr. Kendi about right. how to be Absolutely. an anti-racist, yeah. which is an incredible, incredible. opportunity. Yeah. yeah. And I know that um, at Oregon State University, the, the all, all new students are required to complete a creative, creating an inclusive community course. Um, what are the most important learnings on becoming an inclusive leader? And can you share any advice on that? So um, a couple things uh, that I think are really important in uh, becoming an inclusive leader. Um, for us in Oregon, it's important for our students to first understand the history of Oregon. Oregon ha is a state has had the most exclusionary laws that prevented and actually blacks were not allowed to live in Oregon. Um, uh, and this was on the books, right? So it's important for folks to understand that history. And that's part of um, the, the creating an inclusive uh, community uh, course that are all entering freshmen have to take. They need to reflect because sometimes what we've learned is that history is not always taught in schools, right? So, mm -hmm. so we wanna make sure that that history is important and, and actually 
the last exclusionary laws did not come off the books in Oregon until, believe it or not, 2002. Wow. So, so, so those, so those pieces are are really important to raise um, our awareness of students. Additionally, you know, we want folks to. Uh, take risk. There are so many different student groups, student organizations that exist on our campus, and we want folks to find their interests, identify what their areas of interest are, to put themselves forward, to become part of those organizations, and to start leading those efforts that they are interested in. And this is where and, and you know, I would I would say that um, you know, Olivia, for you as you're thinking about university life, think about where you want to spend your energy, how you and which areas you would like to promote change. And there are some courses that are actually designed uh, specifically for you to think about, you know, what are some of the social justice issues of the day. And which one of those would you like to um, tackle at the at the university or even outside of the outside of the university? So, so, so you know, I I remember at Creighton University when I was completing my undergraduate degree, um, there was a, a group of uh, for international students, and I volunteered. I participated because it was something that was very personal to me. Um, that's, but that's also where I had my first leadership experience as, a, as the president of that group at Creighton University. And it was very, very beneficial and helpful to know that you, you can contribute and, and change part of the, the culture of the institution. Mm, so take risks. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I will take that advice and use that as I, you know, continue my education because that's something that's very important to me. So. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more yeah. that that we all have to do the work yeah. to become inclusive leaders. And um, college really represents an opportunity yeah. because, you know, there's a lot of research that shows that for most white people, I think it's 75% of white people don't have any minority presence in their friend or social networks. And it's very difficult, impossible, I would say, to be an inclusive leader and to really have empathy for, for people's lives who are different than your own if you're not doing the work mm-hmm. to, you know, broaden your network. And college is that opportunity, yeah, right? So um, it really is a great opportunity. Yeah. And I don't think that folks are going to be in a position much longer where they can avoid it, right? Um, I will say this um, last year, I believe, was the first year for, and throughout the entire United States that the number of underrepresented folks entering college uh, exceeded the number of, of white folks who were entering college across the entire country. So our demographics are, ch- are shifting and changing uh, as, as the national demographics are shifting and changing. And the goal has to be that all are, are educated, all can contribute to, the, to keeping this society uh, functioning and keep, keep the society uh, advancing in the ways that we would like them to advance. 
That one, yeah. gets, that one gets a clap. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing statistic. And it really is easier than ever before to put in that work and be educated. So it is important that every single person does that. Yes. So Dr. Alexander, who, who do you think does this well? Like who are, who are your inspirations or role models of inclusive leadership? Wow. Um, one woman who has been really uh, instrumental in my life was the former president at Ball State University, Joanne Gora. And I remember, and Joanne, you know, Joanne um, was president of Ball State for 10 years and um, received, you know, a lot of flack at the beginning. She was the first woman president of the university. Um, she certainly had a no-nonsense attitude, but I remember a couple of things. Um, I will tell you that, you know, by the time she had started, I had sort of gotten um, numb to, to hearing, you know, those presidential addresses and her, and I, so I didn't go to her first um, presidential address at the university. Um, but when I did, she had a message like I had not heard before. And um, I wrote her a note and I said, thank you so much for your comments. And, and when I actually met her and we sat and we had a conversation and, and Olivia, you're gonna find this and, um, and all of the women who are listening to this, young women who are listening to this podcast, you're going to find and you will be able to identify those individuals who sort of gave you a tap on the shoulder and said, you know, you've got something going and you, you've got, you, you have that special leadership spark. And that's who Joanne Gora was for me. Uh, she said to me, you know, I'm going to keep my eye on you uh, because you, yes, you've got something. And it was under her leadership that I was able, and she gave me several opportunities to lead specific initiatives for the university that really have paved the way for me being here today. The other woman I would say is my mother. Um, as, the, as someone who started up the ranks in, in the bank as a teller and then rose to becoming uh, the, the regional manager for the bank, she also ran for office in our town and was um, the deputy mayor of our town, and she started her own environmental cleanup businesses and still runs them today. At, uh, she's over 80, and she's still, she's still knocking it out of the park. That's awesome. Yeah. And she's still in Trinidad? She's still in Trinidad, yes. So it's been a while since you've seen her during the pandemic. That's correct. Yes, it has been a while. So, well, hopefully, we're all starting to see the light at the end yeah. of the pandemic tun tunnel. So, I hope that you can travel to see your mother again soon. Yes, and you know, um, you know, I have to say I understand sort of the historic nature of uh, vaccination hesitancy, uh, especially yeah. around communities of color, given their experiences um, with uh, racist medical practices in the past. So I understand that, but. You know, this is really important uh, if we're going to make a dent here that folks get vaccinated. So I want to put a plug in for that. Yeah, no, we, we agree. I mean, we all, we all need to come together for the sake of public health right, right now. So, yeah, thank you for making that plug. 
Um, so just last question and, and wrapping it up, any final advice that you have or advice that you wish you would have had as a teenager yourself? You know, um, uh, advice I would have had as a teenager, God, I feel my, I feel like my, my experience sort of prepared me for that. I would say look for leadership opportunities. Um, and there's some really good books to read. I, I would encourage folks to read uh, Michelle Obama's book, book Becoming. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, Stedman Graham, uh, Oprah's partner, is someone who I've worked closely with in the past. And he has uh, a book, it's a little dated now, but I think the lessons are there, teens can make it happen. Um, so I would suggest reading. Uh, reading is a really good practice. Um, I gave my kids uh, when they were little volumes of individuals who I thought were, who had made con significant contribut contributions to society. And uh, for Celeste, my daughter, she had a lot of women leadership books to read. So um, I think, and I like to believe that some of that, uh, some of the, the lessons that she learned from those um, contributions have really helped shape the woman that she is today. Yeah, I can say that they definitely have because my mom did the same thing for me. I had lots of female leaders to read about and they've definitely shaped who I am today. And, and Olivia, you now have your homework assignment from the yeah, professor. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> and you've got your book My first college assignment, yeah. Exactly. I would, I would, Olivia, I would also really recommend that you read Abraham Kendi's book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's really, or just listen to one of his podcasts. Um, or in a, it, it's really... Uh, a lesson in not being passive, but the importance of being active and actively working to change uh, the dynamics and to change the, the structures that prevent communities from, of color from being successful here in the US. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Good advice. That's a good one. Well, Dr. Alexander, thank you for your time and for sharing your wisdom with us. We really enjoyed the conversation and I know it will be really helpful for all those young women out there as they continue yeah. their work to become confident, inclusive leaders. So thank you. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thank you so much, Olivia. And good luck to you and all of the, the women uh, who, are, who you work with. This is great work that you're doing. Uh, it's so important for us to find ways to elevate young women. Uh, so keep up the good work and thank you so much for your efforts. Mm -hmm.